If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I think as we begin to look at this fourth beatitude, we should acknowledge that it is natural for human beings to hunger and thirst. It's natural to the human condition. Um, That is to say we have needs that need to be met. And when they are not met, we hunger or we thirst, we desire. There is an emptiness. And every aspect of our beings as human beings, in fact, hungers for something. The physical is but the most obvious. That is, we need food and drink, water. Without them, within a relatively short period of time, we grow weak and eventually we will die. But there's also the mental aspect of us as human beings that we should have or we do have a desire, a need to learn, to be stimulated, to grow. remember being told years ago when I was in elementary school that when you stop learning, you might as well die that to learn is part of what it means to be human. Then there's the aesthetic part of us as human beings, the need for beauty, for creativity, to appreciate beauty, to create. And could we not say that if this part of us is not fed, that it also begins to weaken? There's the emotional aspect of us, the need to experience the range of emotions, not just the good ones, but not just the bad ones either. Then there is the social hunger, the need for human companionship, family or society, the spiritual hunger, the the line from Augustine's confessions, our hearts are restless until they find their peace in thee. And yet, I would argue that this is not what Jesus is talking about. He is not speaking of these hungers. Instead, he speaks of the one hunger, the one thirst, which is not natural to the human condition. It is, in fact, contrary to our own nature and our own desires. It is as contrary to our nature as are the other Beatitudes that we've looked at. We want to be rich, not poor. We want to be happy, not to mourn. We want to be assertive, not meek. And we want to be satisfied. We do not want to hunger and thirst. And if we were to hunger and thirst, it certainly would not be for righteousness. Yet throughout the scriptures, this is a recurring theme that we hear time and time again. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? In Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 143, I spread out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you, like a parched land. In Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And then in Amos 8, The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. So, when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger, thirst after righteousness, um, 
This is not new to his listeners. This is not something they haven't heard before. Except you will notice that Jesus does not talk about thirsting or hungering for God or hungering for hearing the word of God. Instead, Jesus speaks of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So what could he mean by this beatitude? Well, the key is the word righteousness. The word righteousness, and in fact hunger, is used at least two different ways in the New Testament. We'll look at the word righteousness because I think it is the key. The first way it is used is to refer to legal righteousness. That is righteousness that is based on keeping God's law. That you keep God's law perfectly, then you have righteousness. Unfortunately, we are told by James, for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. This type of righteousness gives one perfect standing before God, proper legal standing with God. But we do not have the ability to keep this. Um, it is in this sense of righteousness that we hear from Paul, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. And then a few verses later, therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight, that is in God's sight, by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. So I think it's clear that in this fourth beatitude, this is not what Jesus is speaking of. But let's think for a moment. If keeping God's law means, keeping it perfectly, means that we have a relationship with God, and if we break one commandment, we break, we've broken the whole law, then we can conclude that no one can keep the law, no one can have legal righteousness, no one can have a right relationship with God. That's correct. Well, it's terrible. Well, it absolutely is. Can anything be done? Yes, there is one thing that can be done and has been done. If there could be someone who could achieve perfect legal righteousness, that is, keep God's law perfectly, and then that person could assign his righteousness to others, where they would have the standing of having perfect legal righteousness, then they could have a right relationship with God. And this is precisely what Jesus has done. He who was perfect has given that righteousness to us. The prophet Jeremiah prophesied this centuries before. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will call, be called the Lord our righteousness. Paul would write centuries later, after the coming of Jesus into the world, it is because of him, that is God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And then in 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We gave Jesus our sins, and he in turn gave us his righteousness. And then to the Philippians, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that is legal righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. This is a once for all event in which we come by faith to God. We acknowledge our inability to keep the law. And we look to Christ as our righteousness. And in that moment, we are made legally righteous in the sight of God. 
we become a member of his family and we have a right relationship with him. Jesus does speak of this kind of righteousness during his ministry. You will remember the story of the woman at the well, the woman who had been married five times and the man she was living with was not her husband. Jesus told him, and by the way, in the context of thirst, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of well, welling up into eternal life. This is a thirsting for salvation, a thirsting to be reconciled with God, to be made right with God, to become a part of his family. This thirst can and will be satisfied. Jesus said also in the Gospel of John, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But this can't be what Jesus is speaking of because he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So we have two different ways in which hunger and thirst is used and righteousness is used. In the one we've seen, it is legal righteousness, that which speaks of our salvation. There's a second type of righteousness, and that is what Jesus refers to here. It points to moral righteousness. It refers to a righteous character or righteous conduct before God. We see that it is impossible for us to be made right with God by keeping the law perfectly, by our own efforts. However, once we are reconciled to God through Jesus, we become the children of God, a change takes place. We've changed sides, if you wish. We were in the kingdom of darkness, now we are in the kingdom of light. We are now the children of God. Now that we are citizens of this new kingdom, does God expect anything of us? Yes, he expects us to live righteous lives, that our conduct is to be righteous, our character is to be righteous. In what areas is God expecting us to be righteous? Is it only in our private lives? Well, it's certainly there, but I would argue it's in every area of our lives, in our family, community, in our callings, our vocations, in all that we think or do or say, we are to follow God's commands. We are to be obedient. It is this meaning of righteousness that Jesus intends here in this fourth beatitude. One might challenge though and say, Damon, how do you know that that's the case? Well, if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, every time he uses the word righteousness, it has this sense of moral righteousness, of doing what is right, proper behavior. It's not to be reconciled to God, that's already happened. But now that we are reconciled, this is how we are supposed to live. So, when Jesus went down to be baptized by John, John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. In other words, this is the right thing to do. This is the obedient thing to do, and therefore Jesus was baptized. Four other times in the Sermon on the Mount, we see the, right, the word righteousness, and I think the use is consistent. In verse number 10 of chapter 5, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, they are persecuted because of their behavior. And then in chapter 5, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this 
might say, wait a minute, this, this sounds awful like legal righteousness that is being a part of the family of God. I don't think so. Jesus is speaking of the righteousness of those who are in the kingdom versus the behavior of those who are outside the kingdom. If you are in fact in the kingdom of God, you are to live in a particular way. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, be careful, do not do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. And then at the end of chapter 6, but seek first his kingdom and righteousness, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So in this beatitude, Jesus is speaking of moral righteousness, right? He's calling us to live lives of righteous character and conduct. Not exactly. Not exactly. If you look at it, Jesus is calling us to hunger and thirst after living lives marked by obedience. That, those are the ones who are blessed. Not those who live these lives, but those who hunger to live such lives. Stop and think a minute. What does it mean to be hungry? What is the nature of hunger? Let's, let's talk in physical terms, because that's what we know best, I think. First of all, it is a painful thing to be hungry. And by the way, I have in my notes here in parenthesis that most of us know little of hunger. I mean, when we say we're hungry, you know, we've missed a couple hours. We haven't missed days or weeks, as many on this planet do. But it is a painful thing to be hungry, and you become weak. You also notice that hunger is satisfied by nothing but food, not with stories, not with music. Hunger may be distracted for a while, but it is not satisfied. And then hunger causes us to eat, and we do not need to be persuaded. There's no need for a lecture on the benefits of eating. There's no need for a sales pitch or to beg somebody to eat. If you're hungry, you want to eat. And there's something else. Hunger makes food taste better. You ever notice that? Proverbs 27.7, he who is full loathes honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. When you're hungry, food tastes good. These characteristics of physical hunger, I think, are to also mark our hunger after righteousness. We should feel weak and distressed and anguish and ready to faint if we do not do the things God commands. Nothing should satisfy our hunger except to be obedient. There are many things that will distract us or try to, but they cannot satisfy us. We should not need to be persuaded to be obedient. I mean, even a newborn knows that he or she is hungry. We who are the people of God should know that as well. And there's a sweetness to being obedient. This hunger is ongoing, and that's why it's very different than what Jesus told the Samaritan woman. But if you eat, if you drink from this, you will never thirst again. And yet Jesus is speaking of an ongoing thirst. If you eat a meal, in time you will get hungry and want to eat again. So you eat. And then in time you will get hungry again and then you will eat. And it goes on and on and on. And so this pattern is also to mark our lives as the children of God. We are always to hunger to follow the example of Jesus. But this is so contrary to our nature. We hunger after almost everything else, but not after righteousness. So you may ask, if in fact I'm to hunger and thirst after obedience to do what God commands, but this hungering and thirsting is contrary to my nature, how will I ever come to hunger and thirst after righteousness? 
Well, let's not look at this fourth beatitude in isolation. It is, in fact, part of a progression. The first beatitude tells us, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, we are to acknowledge our total inability to sustain ourselves, our bankruptcy before God. We cannot achieve legal righteousness. We cannot be reconciled to God apart from Jesus. This is the starting point, the first beatitude. If you don't start here, then don't bother with the rest of the beatitudes. You know, enter here or leave, okay? It's the first beatitude or nothing. If you do not acknowledge your poverty, then there's no need to continue. But if you enter, you must moment by moment look to Jesus, depend on him, and acknowledge him that he is what you need moment by moment. The second beatitude is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We are to mourn over that which has, in fact, been the cause of our poverty. Sin in our lives, the corruption of our nature, the fallenness of our being, the effects of sin in the world and the lives of those around us. And we are to mourn over our own particular sins, which we commit in the face of God's grace to us. The third beatitude is, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Here we have we acknowledge that we are spiritually poor and we are mourning over our sin. We are to allow our spiritual poverty to affect our behavior towards God and towards our fellow human beings, to acknowledge that we, in fact, are poor apart from the grace of God. And then we come to our beatitude today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The reason that we are to hunger and thirst is that we do not live as we should. We do not acknowledge that we are poor. We do not oftentimes mourn. We do not long to be meek. But we are, in fact, poor in spirit. We are to mourn and we are to be meek. If we are the people of God, we are to hunger and to thirst to do the will of God. In the story of the Samaritan woman that I mentioned a few moments ago, the disciples had gone into town to get food and they come back and Jesus says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus had a sense of satisfaction because he had done what God had commanded. In this lifetime, our hunger will never be satisfied, our thirst fully quenched because we are always to be about the Father's business. We are always to be obedient. There will never be a time in our life where we can say, I no longer have to be obedient. So, if I were to ask you today, do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? And you might answer, well, you know, I have been thinking lately about my own mortality. I've been really troubled by that, or I've been feeling particularly lonely or alone. A lack of sense of direction for my life. No, no, no that, that's not what we're talking about. Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Do you long to live according to God's commands? Do you hunger to love God? Do you hunger to love God's people? Do you hunger to pray, to study scripture, to meditate on the scriptures? And you might say, honestly, no, not really. I wish I did those things but I don't hunger to do them. What's wrong with me? David, what's wrong with me? Let me suggest a couple things. First of all, you do not hunger because you are full. 
That is, you are full of whatever it is that you want. When you're hunger, hungry, you try to satisfy yourself. And rather than satisfying yourself by doing what God has commanded, then there have been other things that have filled you. And so you no longer feel hunger. You have no desire to do the things of God because your hunger, in a sense, has been satisfied. It really hasn't, but you have a sense that it has. You do not hunger because you feel content. There may be few or fewer problems in your life than in the past. Um, you have what you need and more. Your heart is at peace. Why would I want to be hungry? Why would I want to hunger after thirst and righteousness? And then for some of us, you do not hunger because you find sat satisfaction in talking about the things of God, talking about the truth rather than living the truth. We are to hunger to do what is right, not talk about what is right, but to do what is right. At this point, you might feel a bit concerned and you say, well, why don't I hunger and thirst as I should? Could it be that in fact, I'm not a Christian? I would say that if you're concerned about this, and that's probably a good indication that God is working in your life and that you are his child. But what should you do? What can I do so that we will hunger and thirst after righteousness? I'll suggest two things, two things. First of all, avoid those things which will spoil your appetite. You know, with kids, when it gets time close to a meal, we tell them, no, you can't have anything now because it'll spoil your appetite. We want you to eat a good, healthy meal, and if you have this candy bar right now, you won't be hungry when supper comes along. What spoils your appetite for the things of God? In two of the hymns today that we sang, we heard words about this. When I survey the wondrous cross, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. And in the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, Thou my inheritance now and always. So we need to ask ourselves, what charms me most? What spoils my appetite? What distracts me from doing what I should, from being obedient to God? And I think it's important for us to acknowledge that many of the things that spoil our appetite are good things. They may in fact be the things that God has called us to do, our callings, our vocations, our families. But have these things become the things that distract us and spoil our appetite for doing what is right? that instead of hungering and thirsting after righteousness, we've gotten so wrapped up in the things that God has given us honestly to do. These are the things we are supposed to do, but we've lost sight of the place of obedience. So first, avoid those things that spoil your appetite. And second, you need to work up an appetite. And physical hunger, exercise, and activity can, in fact, create appetite for food. Likewise, I think in hungering for righteousness, we need to exercise in order to hunger. What kind of exercise? Well, it's, it would seem trite and almost trivial to say, well, you need to read your Bible and you need to pray. Something that I think in many ways we can subvert for our own purposes. So that's sort of dangerous ground. I would say we need to exercise 
the Beatitudes. We need to look to the reality of our poverty. We need to meditate on this. On the reality of our inability to do what we should and our need of Jesus. And we should mourn. I think that these exercises, as we find them in the Beatitudes, in fact are things that will work up our hunger so that we will want to do the things that we should. There's a third thing. I said there were two, but I'll add a third. I think we must, in faith, look to God and say, make me hungry. Have you ever been sick? And for me, it's usually with something like the flu, where you are so weak, you can hardly move. And what you need is food. But you have no appetite. Nothing tastes any good. And it's almost like a vicious cycle. I need to eat in order to get stronger. But I'm so weak and I don't want to eat. So I don't eat. So I get weaker. And you just sort of a downward spiral. I think we are to look to God. And say to him, give me an appetite. Give me hunger. Created me a hunger for righteousness, that I might hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we are told the blessing of this fourth beatitude, for they will be filled. That God so graciously may fill us with his grace and his peace, his joy and hope. Paul wrote to the Romans, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, if we are full, we will not hunger. But if we recognize our poverty and we mourn and we are meek, then God creates in us a, a hunger and then he can give us things. But you know, if, if I'm already full, like I read earlier from Proverbs 27, you know, a person who's full will hate honey. But a person who's empty, who is hungry, will eat even the bitterest of food and it will taste sweet. God fills those who are hungry, but he sends away those who are full. In Mary's song found in Luke 1, he has filled the hungry with good things but he has sent the rich away empty. I said when we looked at blessed are the poor in spirit, if your hands are full of things, God cannot give you anything else. Not even grace. It's when our hands are empty and we acknowledge I am poor that then God can give us his grace. In the same way, if we are full, then how can God give us anything? How can he fill us? We can't because we're full of other things. We will not be filled by him. We'll be filled by other things. Those things that spoil our appetite, those things that charm us, that distract us, we need to recognize them and we need to put them aside. And by God's grace, hunger and thirst to do what is right. Let's pray together. Father, there's a part of us that likes to think that we have it harder than anyone has ever had in human history. We're just surrounded by so many things 
that distract us, that take up our time. We've got TV, we've got the internet, just so many things. And oftentimes in trying to do what is right, we find ourselves distracted. We find ourselves charmed by things that may in fact be your gifts. But in the process, we lose a sense of hunger and thirst to do what is right. And part of this is because we don't think we're poor in spirit and we don't mourn over our sins. And we don't act toward you and toward other people in that light. So here at the fourth beatitude, we may not feel hunger. We may, may be quite satisfied. The reality is apart from you, we have nothing. I pray that in each life today, you would give us a hunger and a thirsting to do what is right, to be obedient to you. May your spirit open our eyes to see the things that we think satisfy, and in fact they don't, but they take up so much time. They take up our days and our weeks, months and years. And before we know it, so many things have gone by. May your spirit work on our lives and our hearts today and in the coming week as we think on these things. We pray for Dan and Lonnie as they're away. Watch over them, bring them back to us safely. And for Jesse and Gracie as they leave this week, give them safety as well. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.